0: Good morning. We're in the last of a message in the series called You Make the Call. And over the past few weeks, we've been challenged uh, to ask ourselves the question, how are we going to react under different situations? And the first week we looked at what are we going to do when we're going on in life, making forward progress, and out of nowhere, somebody or something causes interference in our lives. What are we going to do? Are we going to give up, or are we going to let the setback either define us, Or refine us and then we looked at what do we do if i commit a personal fall against you am i gonna just kind of being embarrassed ashamed i'm not gonna even approach apologizing because i'm so upset with how i reacted or am i gonna do the right thing and go there and ask for your forgiveness even though i may never get it from you and for me to say i'm sorry we also talked about how do you handle an unsportsmanlike conduct like anger Does the Bible even talk about that? We found out it does, and the trick there is to be angry but don't sin. That's a lot easier said than done. But does that mean that we should just blow it off? It's the call we all have to make. And then last week we talked about when God is working out of bounds in our lives, what are we going to do there? Are we going to trust that God is working outside of what we can really see? And can we rest assured in that, that he's bigger than what we can even get our mind around? It's all a call we have to make. And this week, we're going to look at a touchdown, a touchdown in life. Now, in football, there is this line called the goal line that every team wants this to do. They want to get the ball across there, because when they do, they get six points and a chance for some extra points. And they want to do this more than the opponent so that they can get the W, a win. So that game day is a success. And if they can do it enough, perhaps next week is a success. And then they could be the champs, kind of basking in the glory, at least for that season. Well, you might be saying, whoa, Rob, you're going to make a stretch here. You're going to start to say a touchdown in life. I'm not sure you can make that leap. But I just want you to go with me this morning for a little bit, okay? in football, a touchdown happens, again, by running a series of plays where you can get the ball across the line. And a player, he values, one, scoring, and two, he knows the method to get to scoring is plays. So every team has a playbook, and every team values scoring. That's what it's all about. Now, in life, don't we don't we all have this inner desire to have some purpose and some meaning? Don't we want... To be somebody of importance, somebody that somebody else will listen to, that will pay attention to? We all have this. I mean, when was the last time you went to somebody and said, hey, what do you want to do in life? And they said, "Mm, I don't want to do anything. I'm just fine being idle. I mean, give me a book, some basic nutrition. I'm set. No, um, if I heard that, which I never have... I would really question whether they were being truthful to me or not. And if not, deep down inside, they were silently screaming for so much more in life. In a weird way, we each have this idea of what a touchdown is and what it would look like in our life. So think about it. It's, it's that thing that perhaps I may tell you, but most of the time, we don't share these things with one another. It's usually this soundtrack going on in your head that says, I'll be a success if I... Or, I can't wait because if I do this, they'll appreciate me. Or, if only or finally when I'm able to do or say or obtain something, then life will be good and I'll be content. And I think if you're honest, we can all relate to this because it's something we have as human beings. Purpose and meaning in life, we all desire that. The difference is is we fill in those blanks differently. So just as every team has a playbook, we all have plays in our mind of what a success in life would look like for us. So this morning, what does your playbook look like? Kids, is it all about getting the perfect grades, being the star athlete, getting all the attention, sitting first chair in band, or going to the top-notch school and getting the top-notch job? Or parents, is it about us having those perfect kids who get the perfect grades, who get into school and married well? Or, or do we, is it all about being the top in our field where we set standards and control everything that everybody else does? Is it about retiring, you know, doing everything now and retiring early? Now, you're probably going, gosh, what? why is he saying that? Aren't the, all those things okay? Yes, they are normal, and most are healthy to go after. But what I want you to hear is those things are not the things that define whether you are a success in life or not. If you start to define yourself that way, then the danger becomes that you start to measure yourself and your value based on how all of those things are going. And that is not what is a success in life for you. Because what we define as success is such a huge motivator within, and it has such draw. So if we put, say, grades at the top, one minute we get the good grade, we are feeling good. The next day, say somebody starts to talk bad about you, now you're down or take it to uh, our portfolio. You're jacked because, hey, the the rate of return is nice. And then next month, all of a sudden, some sector, they report their earnings, and lo and behold, your thing plummets. So now we're frantically watching that ticker because we want things to turn around, and we're hoping things get better. Life then becomes like a roller coaster. But I don't think it's like the ones where you can see the ups and the downs. It's like Disney World, the um, Space Mountain, where it's completely black and you have no idea when you're going to be up, when you're going to be down. And the sad thing about it all is that we're so focused on what's a success that we miss life that's going on in between, you know, and what's going on around us. Just because we are so focused on what it is that defines success in our life and that is all that we're watching. So just as a coach can ask an official if he wants to question a touchdown, he can ask the official, let's review that touchdown. And so today, I think our coach, our leader, God, would like to put your touchdown and my touchdown under review. So let's ask ourselves a few questions. What's my definition of success? Do I find myself always chasing someone or something, thinking that when I finally get it or I finally experience it, I'll be content? Does my mood change based on my progress towards what I think is a success? And am I missing life that's going on around me? You see, we all have different interpretations of what success is, but we all have that same desire inside to have purpose and meaning. And in Psalm 139, verse 13, it says, for you created my inmost being, that's God. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Don't you think that we should go to our creator, the one who put us together, the one that knows us, to help us understand this desire that we have inside us and help us understand and learn how to satisfy it. And when we go and search to do that, what we'll find is what was once an attribute for humanity is now a need that we all have. If you go back to Genesis 1 and 2, you'll see where Adam and Eve were living in the fullness of the garden. I mean, they were living in intimate fellowship with God. And scripture says over and over, I, God, have given you everything. We keep saying that. And you'll notice that he also gave them the ability to make the call, to to choose like you and I do. And it came down to, were they going to make the call to be obedient and and rest assured in watching him provide fully, directly, personally for their physical and spiritual needs? Or were they going to follow their own desires? And we we know what happened, don't we? They chose their own desires. And so they went from having intimate fellowship with God, where he provided for everything, to now grappling with having this understanding of good and evil. I mean, the knowledge of that. What did they do with it? What's some of the fruit of having that? One, they hid from God. Two, they were afraid uh, when God said, where are you? I mean, it wasn't pretty. So they went from being perfect fellowship to having this broken relationship. Wondering inside, how do I satisfy that need within for purpose and meaning? What was once an attribute for them, now became a need. And humanity has struggled with that ever since. We're not the only ones that still struggle with that. And today, we're going to look at a few others in the Bible that struggled with what's the most important thing in life? And that's the Pharisees. We're going to look at the Pharisees today, starting in Matthew chapter 22. The Pharisees actually grappled with this question, what's important? What makes me important in life? And before we read that passage, I just want to set a few things up. The Pharisees came to trap Jesus. They wanted to trap him because of what he was doing. And at the time, Jesus was going around teaching, preaching, healing, performing miraculous signs. And throughout all of that, he always used that to point to why he was doing it. Why did the father send me to come here to die on the cross, to be raised to life? And it's for you to have that relationship restored. He did that over and over again. And the Bible implies that he did it very well because every time he was doing this, you'll read the words, they were amazed and they worshiped him. So he was doing it very well. Now, this absolutely ticked off the Pharisees. They could not stand that. Now, I think part of that is because they saw this man saying, I can forgive your sins. I have the authority to forgive your sins. And to them, that's like, whoa, only God can do that. And you're equating yourself to God? So I think part of their anger was that. But there's actually more to it as well. And Jesus in Matthew 23 Gives us some insight. Because the same people that once followed the Pharisees started following Jesus. They're the ones that were saying, Wow, the authority with his teaching is unbelievable. And they're the ones that were worshiping him. The Pharisees took great pride and significance in knowing the law and controlling the people by it. And Jesus gives us insight on why they might be a little upset. In 23, verses 5 through 7, he says, they love their places of honor. They adore the important seats in the synagogues. They thrive on the authority, and they love when men call out their name and when they can get them to do things. Does that sound familiar? I'll be a success if you follow me. I'll be a success if I can control some of the things that you do. Then I'm important. They struggle with the same thing that we can today. So let's read about that one question that they asked Jesus about. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 34, we start reading at 34. It says, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, and that's ex- expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. In the Old Testament, there's 613 commandments. And on this day, they're asking Jesus, tell me which one's the most important. It's not because they wanted to know. What they wanted him to do was, oh, it's this one, and then by the fact that he didn't mention any others, it means he's abolishing all the other laws and saying it's not important. And if they could get him to do that, boom, they got him trapped, and they can take care of this man that's causing interference on their lives. But Jesus was an absolute mastermind, I think, of the way he answered it. He gave out two commands, and they were not new. I mean, loving God, if you go to Deuteronomy 6, 4, you'll see that commandment there. Loving thy neighbor. Go to Leviticus 19.18. You'll see that there. Now, if Jesus just stopped with those two commands and said, that's it, then they would have had him. But he didn't. He went on to say, if you're doing the, everything else, it hangs on those two commands. If you're doing those, the others will fall into place. So when it's all said and done, what does Jesus say is the most important thing that we could be doing? That's be in relationship with him and with others. He says, be in relationship. Listen, be dependent on God, interdependent on one another. He's saying it's not about doing, it's about relating. It's not about following the rules. How about following me? Now, should it even surprise us that God calls us the most important thing to be in relationship? It shouldn't, because if we look at Scripture... Throughout the Bible, you'll see God working in the context of relationship. And again, if you go back to Genesis, he says, let us create man in our image. He uses us and our, and it was intentional. Because we serve a God who does not exist alone. He's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're talking three persons alike, but yet distinct. So God, our creator, exists in relationship. And so the one who created us in his image, we've got that need for relationship built in. There's nothing we can do to deny or change that fact. And because of sin, our relationship with God was broken, but that need is still there. And I love what Donald Miller says in his book, uh, Searching for God Knows What. He says, If the gospel of Jesus is just some formula I obey in order to get taken off the naughty list and put on the nice list, then it doesn't meet the deep need of the human condition. It doesn't interact with the great desire of my soul, and it has nothing to do with the hidden or rather obvious language we are all speaking. But if it is more, if it is a story about humanity falling away from the community that named it and an attempt to bring humanity back to that community, and if it's more than a series of ideas, but rather speaks directly into the basic human need we're all feeling, then the gospel of Jesus is the most relevant message in the history of mankind. Have you made the call to be brought back into community with God? Jesus declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Listen, I've come as the sacrifice for your sins, And I was nailed to that cross and I was raised to life so that you could have eternal life. That's a question we all have to answer ourselves. It's a a call we have to make ourselves. Nobody can make that for you. And if you've never done that, I would just encourage you to go over to Theater 7 at the end of the service and just say, what's this all about? Can you tell me more about this relationship? Do that today. Now, Jesus' answer to the Pharisees didn't stop at the command to be in relationship with God. He went on to say, love thy neighbor, love your neighbor like yourself. You see, they go hand in hand. You can't separate them. Later on in one of the gospels, Jesus is telling them what the kingdom's going to be like. And he says, you're going to ask me, when did I see you in need? When were you thirsty? When did I give you water? And later on, he answers that. He says, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did, for, the one, for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. He's saying, you can love me by loving others. Jesus' words in this passage today say, to love God with all you got and to love others. And that's a touchdown in life. That's the most important thing you could be doing. And sometimes that's going to be so clear in your life, you're going to know how to do that. And there are going to be other times you're like, whoa. This is a big challenge, God. It's not clear to me. How do I do that? And that's why I think he said, love me first. Because if we're going to him first, then we are going to be searching scriptures. We're going to be talking to him. We're going to be trying to live this out obediently in life and trying to apply it to our lives. So are you living for God with all that you got? When you do that, does that mean that this This inner need to have purpose and meaning is totally quenched. You're fine. No, I mean, life's still going to throw you curveballs. You're still going to feel the tug inside of what's important, or somebody may try to redefine it for you. But I tell you, you will be holding the hand of your creator as you walk through that, and he will carry you through that if he has to. And he has this mysterious way of doing that and quenching our desires, but yet growing us at the same time. It's very mysterious. Are you loving your neighbor as yourself? Are you loving others? God didn't say, Well, you know, Rob, if you get lonely, well, go ahead and love your neighbor. Or if you think you need to get close to somebody, go ahead. If you look at Jesus' example, he had 12 disciples. That was like his own little small group. He even had a smaller group, Peter, James, and John. That he let into certain parts of his life so if Christ had relationships what makes me think that I don't need relationships a lot of times God will use other people to show us him and if we're living life alone we are going to miss out on a lot of what God is trying to show us but Jesus said I have come to give you life and at life point really we Our single focus is to point people to life, and that is a growing relationship in Jesus Christ, and it does depend on relationships, just like we read today, and we have many ways that we can get into relationships. There's informal ways like set up, tear down, info booth, cafe, all of that. Now, does relationship happen when you do that? Um, no, not unless you actually put the time in, make it more than the task at hand, and you try to do things outside of, say, Sunday. We, did, we do have this concept of a community group, which puts some structure in place to make that happen for you. Community groups at LifePoint are small groups of people that are meeting together, committed to growing together, committed and growing in Christ, and, and reaching out to the community. But once again... Does relationship automatically happen in those spaces? It doesn't. It requires, on our part, Is there's no Chia Pet. You remember Chia Pet where you just like add water and then the grass grows like the next day or within the hour? There is no Chia Pet solution for relationships where you just add water, congregate, and all of a sudden you've got meaningful relationships. It doesn't work that way. We all, all of us, have to be committed to putting the time in to get to know one another and to participate with our gifts our talents our energies and helping that community grow together and I've seen when regular folks do that it cultivates an environment where people are carried through crises where people will turn around and celebrate their joys together and when they're done with their time together they feel satisfied in their soul Now, does that mean when they were walking the group, they were going, yes, I'm so glad I'm doing this? Sometimes they are. Sometimes they're not. But when they're walking out the door, they can honestly say, I am so glad that I spent the time together. There was some satisfaction in the soul. And I've seen that repeatedly at LifePoint and other places where people were committed to being in community with one another. Whether you take advantage of the relational opportunities here at LifePoint or not, that's Not the question at all today. The question is, are relationships a vital part of your playbook? Are they part of what you define as a success? Are you going to continue living, letting the world define what is its success in your life? Or are you going to trust God and do as he commands to be in relationship first with him, then with others, and let him coach you through life? And let him do that successfully that's a call you have to make